Hello, beautiful people. Lyle and Joy here, and welcome to the Sustainable Jungle podcast, where we talk to incredible people creating purposeful lives in sustainability and conservation. Today, we had the pleasure of hosting Aaron Bertie Kokoski. Bertie is an award-winning environmental photojournalist, presenter, and filmmaker. He's currently the in-house presenter at Scuba Zoo, one of the world's leading underwater production companies. For the last 10 years, Birdie has been at the coalface of animal conservation from exposing Namibia's annual seal cull, pursuing the tortoise mafia through Madagascar's sacred forests, training as an anti-poaching ranger in Zimbabwe, and much, much more. This interview is a little different from our usual in that our topic is not a happy one. It covers Birdie's latest project which exposes the cruelty behind the wildlife tourism industry. The major objective is to raise awareness and educate ourselves and others on these issues. We hope you enjoy this discussion with Bertie. Bertie, thank you so much for joining Joy and I. We're absolutely delighted to have you on the show. Now, Bertie, you are environmental photojournalist. You're currently based in Malaysia. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you are right now? Thank you very much for inviting me to, to speak with you guys. I really appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been living in Malaysia for the last three years, um, mainly working for a company called Scuba Zoo, um, who are one of the world's biggest underwater production companies. And Scuba Zoo, a few years ago, set up um, a channel called Scuba Zoo TV. Um, and they wanted to, like traditionally, Scuba Zoo have made uh, broadcast films for the BBC, Nat Geo, Discovery Channel, worked on all these big blue chip documentaries, um, like the latest Oceans and Blue Planet series that came out. But Scuba Zoo had a bit of a change of direction, decided that they wanted to make their own documentaries instead. And I'd been working in Africa as uh, an environmental photojournalist for the best part of six or seven years traveling all over the continent, um, primarily working on um, stories of human-animal conflict. So over that time, I uh, lived on a commercial tuna fishing boat in South Africa. I helped expose Namibia's annual seal cull uh, on this big undercover mission with Navy SEALs and military guys from from the States. I was chased through the... Um, through the forests of madagascar by tortoise poachers i mean i went on oh all these gosh. crazy missions wow. <laughs> that it was a wild a wild few years working in africa and then i started to do a little bit more work in front of the camera uh, and i ended up doing a show for epic tv called shark selfie um and the show centered around um myself trying to get like the ultimate selfie in front of huge schools of sharks uh, <laughs> you're kidding away. for shark it might sound quite gratuitous but actually it was when selfies were just starting to be a big thing uh, and it's all about how um it's not actually myself that's in danger and look you know i'm taking these images in front of 50 60 uh, feeding sharks, but sharks themselves, they're the ones that are facing all the problems and up to 100 million sharks every year are killed. Uh, and, and the show was very successful. It was in all the press all over the world. Uh, and that brought um, the attention of the scuba zoo guys in Borneo who invited me out there. Um, so that was three years ago. And since then, I have fronted nearly 100 different episodes of different shows. Um, I've just done a series for Smithsonian Channel Online. Uh, I've been uh, presenting a show for Discovery Channel's uh, Shark Week. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, I've kind of um, migrated more from from being behind the camera to being in front of it, which has its pros and cons. Uh, but overall, I don't I don't care. I mean, would, however, I can work on these issues that I feel passionately about whether it's as a photographer, as a journalist, as a presenter, for me, it's about the issues. Uh, and if I can get them out there by making entertaining TV shows, then great. Or if I can do it because of my imagery, then even better. That's um, what an absolutely amazing career you've had over the last 10 years. And if I can back up just a bit further than that, I understand you studied advertising. And I just wonder what it was about photojournalism and the and the life that that brings with it, that you gave up a potentially a city career in favor of of wildlife. Yeah, well, I mean, as, as a kid, like most kids, they they want to be 
firemen or astronauts. Uh, I wanted to write adverts. It was very strange. <laughs> My parents were confused about it all. I knew every advert on television and, and I just, I wanted to be an advertiser and that was what I wanted to do as a child. Um, and then I studied it and I went and worked as a copywriter for a little while and then ended up setting up my own modeling agency in London with, with my friend from school. And I did that for a while. Uh, and then I was in my late 20s and I just kind of grew sick of, of the industry um, and my lifestyle. And I had always loved uh, wildlife film and documentaries. Um, and then I decided to kind of go and clear my head and I went traveling for, for six months and then thought, um, why not? Like I was in my late twenties, if I was going to do it now, now was a good time. So I, uh, got rid of the agency and then I went to South Africa where they had a wildlife filmmaking, a very short course, but an amazing course. Um, bought myself a cheap underwater camera and housing and then and then traveled to Mozambique afterwards um, and then from there kind of never looked back I met two guys who were making a documentary on shark finning in Mozambique and I volunteered with them for 18 months and I just adored it I, I, I was just like a sponge kind of sucking everything up and learning about the ocean about Africa about film and photography um, from there I picked up a stills camera I ended up being their um, behind-the-scenes photographer. And after that, I actually started writing about it. So I started writing about shark finning um, and getting magazine articles published uh, in lots of different places. And that was when I kind of fell in love with the um, photojournalism side. And I realized what a powerful tool it could be for conservation. So I was writing in magazines, for example, like FHM. Uh, and this was an audience where they typically wouldn't know a lot about the issue of shark finning. Yep. Uh, and I got a lot of people contacting me saying, oh, this is great. I knew about this issue. And um, so that was when I started to travel and work as a, as a photojournalist and look at all of these issues around Africa. It's not just sharks that are in trouble. It's, you know, nearly 100,000 seals are culled every year. All, in, all seven endemic species of tortoise in Madagascar are now threatened with extinction for various reasons. Um, so, and there, there's just so many issues, there's so many stories everywhere you turn in Africa. Uh, so I have no, no shortage of material. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm interested to, to know, Bertie, your decision to leave the advertising world and throw caution to the wind and do something completely different and to take yourself out of the comfort zone. How, how difficult was that? Um, for me, it was, it was, um, it was a big leap of faith. I, I wasn't exactly sure what I was doing. I knew that I wasn't happy at the time and that I wanted to change in my life. I would walk into these nightclubs and these smart model parties and I would just be like, I hate it here. I hate everything about this. I hate this industry. I hate these people. I need to change my life up. And then it was actually, I remember watching Into the Wild and I was like, oh my God, there is another way. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something so extreme. And kind of everyone thought that I'd lost the plot a little bit, that I wanted to just kind of head off and, and try something completely different. And yeah, it was, it was nerve wracking, but I'd saved up a bit of money and I had an, uh, a flat in London that I could rent out. So it meant that the risk was minimized. Uh, a lot of people are very uh, scared of, of just completely changing everything up. But actually, if you have property and, and you're making a thousand pound a month from renting it out, yeah. then it does minimize that. Um, so I had income so I could, I could go on this kind of crazy mission around the world. But of course, I was worried about leaving my friends and family behind. I was worried about starting off in an industry that I knew absolutely nothing about wow um but i was young and, and full of optimism in those days i think probably now i've got a bit older and grizzled and now i've kind of seen the world and it's opened my eyes it's had it's had good and bad sides it's opened my eyes to the to the reality that the world is in a lot of trouble um before i kind of lived in ignorant bliss thinking that everything was was fine and rosy um so it was um yeah it was it was scary and it was um, something that uh, took a lot of guts in retrospect, uh, but it was also the best thing that I ever did. 
and I have traveled the world. I've been to the far reaches of the planet. Uh, I have met amazing people doing amazing things for the world. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was the best thing I've ever done. It uh, sounds like an incredible life of purpose and doing things that matter. That's right. And people will see my life and they'll see Instagram and, and Facebook and all social media. And of course, that's filtered out to only show the best bits. So they'll see shots of me, I don't know, in, in Timor-Leste filming blue whales and sperm whales and dugongs. And, and you only ever see the highlights. Uh, and a highlight reel of my life is, I guess, it's 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 pretty cool. It looks very cool, but it it you don't necessarily see some of the negatives that go with the lifestyle. Sometimes it can be hard to make ends meet. You know, you do, you don't exactly get paid well for doing this sort of thing. There's so much travel involved. Yeah, uh, it can be. You know, you can spend five days getting boats and overnight buses and crappy planes to get to some of these destinations. It can be exhausting. Um, uh, holding a relationship down, that, that doesn't happen either because you just eight months on the road traveling. So there are negatives to it, but overall it's, um, yeah, I know it is. I'm very lucky to do what I do. Um, and I've, I've had some amazing encounters. I mean, I would say if I look at the top 10 moments in my lifetime i would say that five or six of them for example have been on underwater so i know that i am i'm very fortunate to have these experiences and i just hope that i can share them with other people through my photography um through the the episodes that i present and maybe some people who who wish that they could make this move but but can't for whatever reasons because they might have a, a family uh, and they're unable to do it but then they can live vicariously yeah absolutely I, th I mean i think the main thing that your career has highlighted is is a life of purpose and uh, you're contributing something of value to the world because that's what the world needs right now it doesn't need more stuff it doesn't need more superficial creation of things that we don't really need i think you're doing something that actually has value which is pretty cool the happiest i ever felt was when i just I got rid of everything. I then even got rid of my flat. I got rid of all my possessions. I had three bags. I had one, two, no, I had one for my camera gear, one for my underwater camera gear, and one as a bag of clothes. And I, I lived in a while, for a while in a hut in Mozambique at the top of a sand dune, and it had like a hose tower, and I would wake up in the morning and I would sit on my little balcony and watch the humpback whales playing together in the ocean. And I had very little, but I didn't, I didn't need much. And it was the happiest I've I've ever been, for sure. Sounds idyllic. And I, I absolutely I get what you're saying when it's not all roses. There are things about that life that are not ideal. But really, it's, it's such an incredible life of purpose. But I just want to quickly go back, Bertie, to your, your showreel, your life showreel. And actually, Joy and I saw some of your work, in fact, a photograph of yours that you won the photojournalism category of the year we saw it at the natural history museum in london and it's the image i'll just describe it to the to the listeners it's the image of of a family of elephants in a palm oil plantation and which has been deforested i wonder if you could tell us a bit more about that image and what it means to you yeah so this was an image that was taken um whilst was filming a, a documentary we're making about human human elephant conflict in Borneo uh, and we were on a collaring mission. We were trying to collar a, a large matriarch um, so that by, by attaching satellite collars, uh, scientists and researchers can understand their behavior and their movements and they can use this data to mitigate uh, human-animal conflict. Um, and as we got there and we, we were in this plantation that was being uh, replanted and it was just kind of devastation everywhere. So it was this really dramatic scenery. And I just saw this family of elephants pass through uh, kind of together. And I knew at the time that it was a, a very powerful image. Um, I think for a photograph to win awards, you have to have uh, four different factors. I think number one is you have to have a, a charismatic animal. Number two, if you have that charismatic animal displaying some type of interesting behavior, three, you have the, the right 
the appropriate uh, settings, which are dramatic. And number four is you have suitable lighting conditions. And during this month, it's very gloomy, very dark. So everything just kind of came together. And I can say I've probably only ever taken one or two pictures in the last decade where all of these things have kind of come together. So I entered it into wildlife photography of the year. I never entered before. It's just one of those things you don't bother because you never think you're going to win it. Yeah. It's kind of the holy, the holy grail uh, for wildlife photographers is to win this award. Um, and I entered it, and then I got a, an email uh, last year saying that I'd, I'd won the photojournalist category. It's incredible. Congratulations. Yeah, that's, that's amazing epic. work. Eh? Absolutely really amazing. really cool. I was going around that, that exhibition just like trying to find all these photographers on Instagram and following them because I just love following wildlife photographers on Instagram. And that's, of course, how we found you and saw your post a few days ago. It was nice to be um, because the winners this year, they were Brian Scarry, Thomas Peshak, Brentson. I mean, these guys are have been shooting for Nat Geo for the past 20, 30 years, the biggest uh, names in, in the business. Yeah. Um, so to be kind of up there on stage, um, giving acceptance speeches and being able to talk to and mingle with these guys was um, was a, a big experience for me. That would have been really cool. That Brian Scary image was just amazing. I was, oh, it's really, really hard one to look at. Yeah, yeah, there was um, there was some amazing shots this year. Uh, unfortunately, I just found out about the next year's competition. I entered more this year. I just got an email last week. I got past the first round of judging, but not the uh, not into the finals this year, unfortunately. But I'm hoping that maybe my some of my wildlife tourism images might do well next year but i know we're going to talk about that soon yeah we're going to talk about that right now i know we could go on talking about the incredible work that you've done all over the world but we really the focus today is on your wildlife tourism project so can you give us an overview of the problem and your work specifically yeah so so wildlife tourism um is a subject that affects all of us every year over 100 million people visit cruel wildlife tourism attractions and most of the time they don't know that these um, attractions are in fact cruel because there's not enough information out there. Um, so I think uh, research has shown that over half a million animals are suffering for wildlife tourism. They're kept in terrible conditions, they've been beaten and abused and made to perform for people. So, th so that is how they will often spend their entire nights chained up and then they're brought out throughout the day and they're made to perform for tourists. Um, so this is a huge issue that affects us all. Everyone has been to a zoo or has been to an aquarium at some point, but they often don't know the backstory and they don't know how much the animals are suffering for our entertainment. Um, so this is an issue that I'd wanted to cover for a little while with my camera. I finally got uh, a little bit of funding um, last month from a contact of mine called uh, Damon Copeland from the Tanager Foundation, who's been, Damon's been very good and he has funded some of my projects in the past. So I wanted to go to Thailand, which is the epicenter of the wildlife tourism industry, and to document what I saw with my camera. So I spent a couple of weeks going to some of the most infamous attractions in uh, Bangkok and also in Phuket. And what I saw was, was absolutely horrifying. I knew it was going to be a bit of a grim job, but I didn't know quite how bad it was going to be. I mean, it was absolutely shocking. I saw elephants that were so drugged up they could hardly stand, tigers that were absolutely emaciated, stuck on these tiny chains so they couldn't walk around uh, a gorilla at the top of a filthy shopping mall orangutans kept in these disgusting cages or, or cells it was like a, an orangutan prison um so then my job as a as a photojournalist is to take these images and to get these images out there and i started doing facebook posts i did some live videos uh, and the Facebook posts just blew up and they were getting tens of thousands of views and hundreds of shares. And people seem to be very, very passionate about this. One of the major um, sites that people responded to was an orangutan boxing match in a place called Safari World in Bangkok. And every single day, twice a day, 
these orangutans will do this show where they are they're dressed up and they are forced to box each other in front of hundreds and hundreds of people and for some reason people find this very entertaining and the crowd were absolutely loving it and myself and my director will were just sitting there just baffled and and frankly disgusted by the whole affair um it's these very humiliating routines where they have their trousers pulled down them then dressed up as boxers they they made to dance in front of you uh and the whole thing was disgusting and the way that the orangutans would be made to perform them the reason that they're so submissive they're not doing it because they want to be doing it because they enjoy it the reason is that these training regimes are absolutely brutal and it's the same with elephants the elephants go through something called the crush and that is designed to break their spirits so elephants as babies will be beaten and they will be attacked and they will be kept in cages until their spirits are literally broken and this turns them uh, into kind of performing monkeys. And you can see with a lot of these elephants that their eyes are dead. There's just, there's just nothing there. Um, and I've just been sent some footage through from Wildlife Friends Foundation Thailand of the crush because we're currently making a short video about uh, wildlife tourism to promote this work that we're doing. Um, and it was the worst thing I've ever seen. Uh, I could only get 10 seconds through the video um, and we will be releasing this soon anyway. Um, very, very disturbing footage. So yeah, so what? So the next step now is we're releasing all the imagery to the press on Wednesday, along with the press release and this video that's just being edited together. And now we just want to make as much noise as possible. Um, this is about educating others um, and Ultimately, I would like to set up a platform so that people can highlight some of the worst operators. TripAdvisor aren't doing enough, um, and re research has shown that 80% of people will go on TripAdvisor and they will leave positive reviews for attractions that are actually treating animals cruelly. So I want to set up a platform that is specifically dedicated to wildlife tourism. So if you're at this disgusting zoo and these orangutans, are clearly being mistreated and they're thin or they're stuck in a tiny filthy cell that you can go on my platform and then you can take images, you can do live videos and you can flag up the most abusive operators. Um, so that is one step. One step. Um, another step is we would like to do either a feature length documentary or a series that is devoted to wildlife tourism. So it's a big project, it's a long-term project, uh, and it's something that I'm gonna be kind of plugging away at over the next couple of years. Um, of course, fund funding these things is always an issue, so that is, uh, I'm, I'm gonna try and use some of the press coverage to try and get funding for the next stage, which would be a documentary on, uh, on the wildlife tourism industry in Thailand. We got a lot of footage when we were there, but now we just wanna complete the filming and make a documentary about what, what we've seen. Well, if there's anything to fund, this is it. I mean, this is such a critical issue. I, it's just astounding to me that this is happening in the world today. I just, I can't believe that people find this enjoyable. It's just, do you think that it's because the animals look, do you think it's a lack of awareness, people who aren't familiar with how wild animals should behave and they just see these placid animals and I imagine orangutans just have very pleasant faces so they they could potentially look like they're, you know, not miserable, uh, but actually they are miserable and people are just misunderstanding completely. That's right. We asked a lot of people outside. So we did some interviews on camera outside of Safari World and we said, so, so what did you think? Did you have a good time? What did you think of the orangutan boxing? And people were, people said, yeah, we, oh, it was great. The orangutans look very happy. They look very healthy. Um, now, a lot of the tourists, they were from, we noticed that they were from India, China, Russia, and America. There were some American tourists as well. And um, I think probably in, in these countries, you don't have the opportunity to see orangutans out in the wild. You don't know what an orangutan's natural behavior is like. For example, orangutans, they spend almost no time on the, on the ground. Orangutans should be high up 
in the forest, in the canopy, going from tree to tree. So to see an orangutan on the ground is completely unnatural behavior, let alone stuck in a tiny little filthy cell. I mean, how anyone could think that this is okay is is absolutely beyond me. And some of them were, were so overweight. I mean, the, overweight and underweight as well. Um, so it, it was a bit baffling or it was a bit confusing to me that people thought that these orangutans looked like they were healthy and happy because they were, they were anything but, but maybe they don't want to think of the reality and they don't want to consider what these animals have been through to, to get them into this submissive state. Yeah, and I, I might just go back to what you mentioned uh, with the elephants and talking about the eyes and having been on safaris before and, and seeing wild elephants compared to some of the images you sent us, it's so clear that that elephant's spirit is very much broken and you can see that it's visceral. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. And elephants are one of the most intelligent animals on the planet. And when you look at an elephant's eye, you know that there is something going on there. But when you, yeah, when I looked at these animals and you saw them, they were just, there was, their spirits had been so broken that there was, there was nothing left. And they were going and they were hauled out into these filthy, tiny little rooms. I think I, I showed you one of the images of um, an elephant performing with a, with a hula hoop. And there's six people watching it in this tiny, dingy little room. And they, they, they will do these shows maybe 10, 15 times a day, and then they will go, and then they'll be chained up at night uh, at the side of a road with cars going past. And there's all of these camps all over Thailand. Uh, this was just in Phuket, and we were driving along the road, and must have seen five or ten of these places with these elephants chained up. Oh, it makes me oh, want to cry. It's disturbing. So, the what are some other examples? So, there's the you know where you can go and you can see the animals perform, kind of you know like a morbid horror movie circus. Uh, but you can also see elephants painting. I, I think I've seen that on Facebook before. Elephants painting within. They've got these huge chains around their legs and they're being whipped as well. Are there other examples just so that we can give the the listeners some more examples of things that that are happening out there? Yeah, I mean. The major animals in Thailand that seem to be being um, used for wildlife tourism were tigers. So tigers that are kept on chains and then they are made to pose for selfies. So people will take it in turns to go and sit next to a tiger, sometimes feed it a bottle of milk, uh, and it will just be stuck on this platform all day, day in, day out, posing for selfies with people. Um, the other one is monkeys. Uh, macaques were used a lot. Uh, they would be dressed up. They would be made to ride bicycles or perform simple mathematic, mathematical tests, uh, yanked around on chains the whole time. And then when they are finished performing, they will be stuck in a, in a tiny little cage at the back of the theater. Um, elephants, as you mentioned, playing football, uh, painting canvases, walking on tightropes. Um, that was uh, another animal that we saw a lot of. And then orangutans as well and, and the infamous boxing matches. Um, also at uh, dolphins, quite a lot of dolphin shows as well. Um, but I think those are kind of the main animals that are used in Thailand. And the, the the tiger farms are quite a big thing as well. And I understand that many of them, or if not all of them, are also, you know, are fronts for illegal wildlife trafficking on the back end. Well, that's right. There's a lot of these animals, if they haven't been bred in captivity, then they have been taken from the wild. Um, and orangutans, for example, they will often kill the parents just to get to the baby. So there are a huge amount of stories behind these attractions that um, I really want to dig into. And that is one of the reasons for wanting to shoot a feature-length documentary is so I can delve into some of these uh, subjects in more detail. I would urge people to look into a company called Freeland. Uh, Freeland are an organization in Bangkok, and they are focused on um, the illegal wildlife trade. So if, if anyone wants to learn more information about that, they can check out their organization. We'll okay. pop that in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, Bertie, will you also give us a list of the known attractions that people should avoid, the ones that you've seen, 
and we'll put those in the show notes as well. Yeah, I mean, I so the shows that I went to or the places that I went to was the Crocodile Farm in Bangkok, which was like hell on earth. Oh. The very famous Crocodile Farm. I won't try and pr- pronounce its name, but um, it was probably the worst place we went to with these um our crocodiles was one animal that i didn't mention there are crocodile shows all over bangkok and they're just hauled around by their tail and then they're made to keep their mouths open whilst the trainer will put their head in the crocodile's open mouth uh and the crocodiles have been beaten so badly that they will not they will almost never shut their mouths there was a case recently where a crocodile did get startled and closed his jaws on the trainer's head. Yeah, the, the, that, again, that's one way that the, the crocodile becomes so submissive. They know that if they ever shut their mouths, they'll just get beaten so badly so they don't do it. So that crocodile farm was hideous. That was where they had the uh, drugged-up elephant. That was where they had the, the really skinny tiger. They had a baby orangutan dressed up as a human baby. They had tiny little tiger cubs put in these small cages um, so there was Safari World, that's the very glitzy glam one, um, where the orangutans are boxing, that's in Bangkok. And uh, in Phuket, I went to a place called Phuket Eco. Oh. Eco. Oh. Isn't that ironic? Eco Zoo, I think it was called, yeah. And it was the least eco place you've ever been to. And uh, Phuket Zoo, which is also infamous um, for its treatment of animals. Filthy, disgusting hellhole. And these... Animal handlers, Bertie, do they have any awareness of what they're doing? Is there just no understanding of animals being sentient beings, having a level of consciousness, or are they just... Brainwashed themselves. Yeah, brainwashed human beings that have absolutely no regard for for other forms of life. I think there is a slightly different view on animal welfare um, here in the East than than we have in the West. Uh, and there isn't that same level of empathy that we perhaps have. Um, so people don't understand or they don't look at the animals as having uh, that level of intelligence or those human emotions. And perhaps they might think that the animals are, are there for our enjoyment and for us to consume. Um, and you just have to look at, for example, in China, you look at the traditional medicine trade and the traditional medicine trade is wiping out endangered animals all over the planet um and people don't necessarily see that as a bad thing in china they would see the thing that the, that the animals are there for our um consumption and that is something that is going to take a long time to change and we're dealing with hundreds if not thousands of years of traditions and superstitions and a belief system um that only and, and that's why i think uh, we all have an opportunity to do something about this um and to use our skills for the good of the planet and as a photographer i believe in the power of the camera i think the camera is one of the most potent weapons ever invented and if we wield it in the correct way we can use it as a force for good and so i think everyone has an opportunity to use their skills whether you're a teacher or whether you're doing what you guys are doing which is amazing Yeah, so we all have an opportunity to use our skills uh, for the good of the planet. And things are changing. You look, for example, at shark fin soup in in China. There's been a huge reduction. And now, actually, people are saying, no, I don't want to have this. I don't want to have it at my wedding. It's been banned at government functions. And, And the younger generation of Chinese are starting to be much more environmentally aware. So things are moving in in the right direction and environmental issues are getting much more exposure in the press. I think I just look at um, the filmmaking industry and conservation has traditionally been seen as something that's very negative, uh, depressing or anorax. And if you would speak to a commissioner at uh, National Geographic or BBC and you'd pitch an idea uh, about conservation, they would say, no, oh, God, no, no, no. We don't want to go anywhere near that. Um, but now, so, so what I've been trying to do or what we're trying to do with the shows that we make is to actually make short form shows that are entertaining, they're educational, and they all have conservation at their core. Um, so at the end of the show, we want 
people to have been educated and to have learned something, but almost subliminally. Love so, that. Yeah, yeah, subliminal education is what we're <laughs> calling it. Because we, we think that conservation is fascinating and it can be cool, um, but it's just about making your shows in the right. So if you watch a, a lot of our shows on like Scuba Zoo TV, for example, we use, you know, we use dubstep music. We have very cool, quick, funky cuts, the way it's all kind of put together. Also, yeah, we're kind of calling it uh, funservation, which all of my uh, colleagues hate, but I'm kind of sticking with that word. <laughs> funservation, uh, that's brilliant. Yeah, funservation, it kind of encapsulates what we're trying to do. So it's take, tackling these serious issues, but doing it in a, in a fun and in a cool kind of way. And, um, you know, on screen, I, I, don't, I never take myself too seriously um and you know just try and have a have a good time wherever i am and um people have responded quite well to the style our shows have have been getting lots of views um we've done we're on our third underwater series we did borneo from below we've we just finished season one of indonesia from below and we're about to release timor leste from below um, I think we've done maybe, God, it must be like 60 episodes now, all of sort of six to eight minutes in length. Everything can be seen on scubazoo.tv. Awesome. Um, and I'm just going to Singapore this weekend um, for ADEX, which is one of the world's biggest dive shows. And we're going to be launching Timor Leste from below, which is our next big series. Um, and Timor Leste is, it's absolutely ridiculous how good it is over there. I mean, we were out some days on, on a boat and we were the only boat out on the ocean and we're choosing between uh, sperm whales on, on our starboard side and uh, blue whales on our port side. Oh, oh my gosh. Get out of town. And you can go in the morning and see a resident dugong. Oh, uh, no ways. That sounds incredible. Seeing a blue whale for me was a total bucket that's list. A, yeah. It'd that's be a amazing. Once in a lifetime thing. Yeah. Exactly. And being sort of plonked in the middle of the ocean whilst you have a, a pod of blue whales that are steaming through on their migratory paths, having, uh, having them kind of hurtling at your head. 25-meter animals is, is one of the greatest thrills of, of my entire life. Oh. And then you're getting up and back onto the boat, and then there's a, a pod of six sperm whales and having them swim up to you and then you know, swim past you and take a dump in, in your face. Again, another, another life highlight. Bu a bucket a moment for sure. And we, and we can see this This is all recorded footage that, that's being released in the series. The, this is going to be released. Timor Leste from Below will be released uh, within the next month or two. Um, got to go back and complete another round of filming and that's going to be at the end of the month at the moment we've we filmed four episodes so we just need to complete the series we we just completed um like i say indonesia from below season one where we looked at uh, mola molas and whale sharks and the world's largest jellyfish lake uh manta rays um so that was 12 episodes all on scuba zoo tv it sounds like a ton of fun. I really love the idea of fanservation. I think we could start a hashtag, fanservation. I, think, get that I going. think you should. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Tell my colleagues. Um, so th this brings me to a point, Bertie. I, I, we noticed this just watching some of your videos when we were preparing for this interview that you just seem like a super fun guy and super upbeat. And it made me wonder about your personal experience reporting on this wildlife tourism story. How did you, it must have been quite traumatic for someone like you who's naturally upbeat and loves the wild. How did you bring yourself to do it and how did it feel? Oh, I'm only upbeat when the camera's on. I actually go home at night and cry, cry into my pillow. <laughs> <laughs> myself and, oh, that's oh, how we no. feel. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult to keep up the persona of, of being so upbeat all the time because uh, a lot of these stories aren't always that much fun. Um, but if you just present a show and you're just, down in the dumps and it's all doom and gloom, then people I don't think are going to relate to it and they're not going to continue uh, watching on, which is why conservation has got this reputation as being a bit depressing and a bit doom and gloom. Um, so the wildlife tourism one, like that was uh, one of the most depressing uh, couple of weeks of any job I've ever done. Uh, whiskey got me through it. So I would have, 
I'd have to have a, a stiff drink every night. And also knowing you get so focused, you're, you're so into the job and what you're doing and getting the imagery, you almost don't process it. So, so I'm there, I'm with my camera, you see something happening and you just, you know the image that you want in your mind, you've planned that particular image. So you will do anything to get it. Um, and you're not necessarily thinking, oh my God, this is an elephant that is horribly underweight, that is drugged, that has been abused. You're so focused on getting the shots that you process all the information later. So when I would be going home after visiting these wildlife tourism attractions, that's when you start to, to think about it and get more kind of enraged and upset by, by what you've seen. Is it a bit like like the elephants that are a bit dead inside? Do you turn yourself off a bit? Yes, no, that's prob probably a good way of doing it. You almost it's almost like you're in a kind of hypnotic state, or almost that you're you go into autopilot, just capturing those um, capturing those moments and trying to tell the elephant's story. Um, and that is, for me, that's yeah, that's the, the the most important thing, and you can't kind of see outside of that. It's about getting those images. An incredibly hard thing to do, but so important yeah. to convey these messages and, and raise awareness. I don't think I could do it. I think I would just break down. So good on you for doing it. We yeah. need people who yeah. can who can get this done. Um, what is the what is the legal status of these tractions? Are they totally legal, or is there any work being done to shut them down, or is it more just about trying to stop the demand? The legal side is, uh, yeah, they are legal. Almost all of these places are legal. Um, so the legal side is all a bit kind of airy-fairy. So there are laws against cruelty, but cruelty isn't defined. So there are, are no rules or restrictions on feeding an animal the right food or not beating it into a submissive state or, or the size of the, the cell that it should be in. Uh, and this is how all of these attractions get round it. Um, and there needs to be there needs to be a clampdown. Um, and the fact that a lot of these places are allowed to operate is staggering. And also, some of them have links as well. They might have links to the government. They have powerful people who are in charge of them. There was one infamous zoo that we visited that uh, is run by a very powerful person, and they're just they're simply untouchable. Uh, and there's been there has been a lot of negative press about some of these places, but they will never get shut down because of this. So the only real way to stop them is to just stop people from going to them by educating and, and building awareness. That's right. And I think the kind of approach that I'm taking is, is using the media. There's a big thing here um, in Southeast Asia about losing face. Uh, and losing face is, is what's seen as one of the worst things. And I am hoping that some of this work brings enough negative publicity to a place that the authorities will be forced to act. So no place, no tourism board, no governments are going to want to see articles out there saying, uh, talking about how horrible these attractions are and how people shouldn't be going and how in Thailand the animals are treated so cruelty. This doesn't look good. Um, so my idea is yeah, to, to, to get as much coverage in every media outlet that I can, and I've um, you guys, I appreciate offering me some extra support and publicity. And I have uh, articles lined up in places like the Dodo and the Telegraph. And then, with all the images and the press release going out later this week, I'm hoping that it gets a lot of take up, and not just in places that are seen by conservationists. You don't want to just be preaching to the converted, and that is an issue that that I face a lot. Yeah. Is that Sometimes you're, I, okay, so we've got an article coming out in the Dodo about, about wildlife tourism. Every single reader of the Dodo will be enraged. But really, is that, is that any good? Um, I want people to know about this story who didn't know about it before. Um, well, well, I think, you know, in this case, so many people, like you said in the beginning, we've all been to these places you know, inadvertently, accidentally, not realizing that, you know, behind the scenes, this stuff is happening. And I've, you know, I've seen yeah. in my own Facebook feed with my friends that are educated people who love animals and want to do the right thing and want to go see wild animals when they go to these places. We should be able to get to them. <laughs> 
no, no, you're right. You're right. Um, that yes, yeah, so, some people will, and and I've had so much engagement on Facebook, and I've only released a couple of images so far, um, and yeah, a lot of the time people won't realize the story behind the animal's treatment. Um, so that is no, no, that is a very good point. Is that a lot of people will take their kids to these attractions when they're on holiday. And I have had people uh, who have responded on Facebook and saying, oh, wow, you know, I, I, I really didn't know that. I've never heard of the crush. I didn't know how elephants get trained and I will never go to any of these attractions ever again. Um, and that for me is like one of the most satisfying things in my work is when I get that response. I put an image out on Facebook yesterday about bycatch um, and, and the shrimp industry and how um, it's like 90% bycatch to 10% targeted catch in the shrimp industry. And my image shows a, someone holding a small uh, pile of prawns. And then behind that is an image uh, of just all the bycatch and all these different species that weren't targeted, all these animals that died just to get that small handful of prawns. And I've had, so, again, so many comments on, on it saying, oh, my word, I never knew anything about that. I'm going to stop eating prawns. Um, so, again, like, it's, it's the power of photography. Um, so yeah, I hope that I can continue that, that with this wildlife tourism project. So, th so things are changing, Bertie, and it's about continuing to raise awareness and to bring these stories particularly or most definitely to the people who are not aware. And I just want to circle back to what you were speaking about previously in this platform that you plan to build. Can, can you give us an idea as to when that might be operational and how it will work exactly? Yeah. So, um, I want the trap that, Sorry, I want the platform to be a little bit like TripAdvisor, but focused on wildlife tourism. So when someone is at a, a wildlife tourism attraction and they have seen something that they're not happy with, that they can go and they can go onto the app or they can go onto the website and then they can upload an image and a brief description of what they're seeing. And then a red flag appears under the name of the wildlife tourism attraction. So it's going to be called Red Flag Animal Entertainment. Uh, now, obviously, I, I, I'm a photographer. I'm a photojournalist. I don't have the skills or the necessary resources to create something like this. So I'm now looking for people who can help me do it. Um, what I am going to be focusing on first is, is getting the images out there and trying to make a documentary on what we've seen in Thailand. And then I'm hoping that the platform is going to follow a little bit further down the line. I've been, I got a couple of quotes to put this app and website together and it was terrifying. Um, <laughs> so, so I need, um, this is something that I'm going to need support for, um, maybe in the form of an NGO, you know, work with a, an NGO who might be able to help me build it. And also I'm, I'm quite aware that I just don't have the necessary skills to build something like this. Um, so outside support is kind of, is kind of critical. I'm going to use my skills now as a photographer to get the story out there and build the momentum. And then for off the back of this documentary, and we're you know, we're going to have this platform. We're going to have all the media coverage. So, like I mentioned earlier, it's a very long-term project. It's a passion project, um, and I'm, I've just been overwhelmed so far by the response that it it's got. And I just want to keep on building on that. Absolutely. And so, if there's any listeners out there who have some skills, some coding skills, please get in touch. And so, in the interim, for anybody else who comes across any of these terrible camps, circuses, and shows, what do you suggest they can do to raise awareness and spread the word in their own small way? Um, I think there's a, a multitude of things that people can do. Um, they can, first of all, social media. Social media has given everyone a voice these days for good and for bad. So if you see something that you're alarmed by, then then post about it on Facebook, put it up out there on social media. If you've seen something that is truly abusive, then get in touch with the relevant authorities. I mean, it's quite unlikely that they're going to do anything about it, but then at least you know you have done something yourself. Um, so, um, so there are there are ways that people can 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 do something, but that is why I want to build this platform because at the moment there just isn't enough. 
and TripAdvisor isn't doing enough. There was recently uh, Instagram did take a bit of a stand against it. So now they will flag up if you type in, um, you know, hashtag Tiger Selfie, a warning will come up. So Instagram are taking a bit of a stand against it, but TripAdvisor aren't doing enough. I mentioned earlier that 80% of people will leave positive reviews for, for attractions that are treating animals cruelly. So they need to do more. And that's why this platform that I want to build is so important because you can feel very helpless if you have seen something that you don't like, you don't know what to do about it. And that is why this is needed. Again, I've had all sorts of feedback on social media saying this is great. We've wanted something like this for a while. We want to make our voices heard about these places. There's also petitions out there. There have been petitions against the orangutan boxing. Like, keep signing these. These do They do make a difference, all the petitions. There are ways that people can get involved and make their voices heard. And I suppose this goes back to the, the point about bridging that gap to the, the folks out there who are unaware of what's happening behind closed doors and they think it's at a surface level perfectly fine, but in fact, it's completely the opposite. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yeah, and in the meantime as well, TripAdvisor, if you do see something bad, then TripAdvisor view, uh, reviews do make a difference. So some of the places, that was actually how I found some of the places that I visited was through TripAdvisor. The Phuket Zoo, I think, has two and a half stars and it has people who are talking about what a hellhole it is and how disgusting it is. So TripAdvisor is also a useful resource. Is it better for tourists to just avoid any form of captive wildlife viewing in Southeast Asia or are there good rehabilitation centers where people can go and see animals in a much more authentic and safe way for the animals? Yeah, I should say with this project, I am not an anti-captivity per se, I'm anti-cruelty. Um, so there are good examples throughout Southeast Asia, throughout the world, of places where the animals are treated very well and they're given a lot of space to roam and they're fed the right types of food, they're not abused, they've been rescued from some of these hell holes. But it just means that um, your average tourist is going to have to do a little bit more work. So it's not just a case of hearing about an attraction and then going to visit it, research it, yeah. you know, read, read reviews online, read about how they treat their animals. It will soon become clear which are the dodgy places and which are the more responsible operators. So it's just about ensuring that you do the work before visiting. And there are, for example, I live here in Borneo and Borneo has been, Borneo is really good and there aren't that many bad wildlife tourism places. And we have, for example, the Sepalok Orangutan Rehabilitation Center where the animals have got enough space to move around and they're not mistreated and, and, and they, they've kind of replicated a semi-wild environment for the, uh, the animals to live in. And yes, it might not be perfect, but it's not bad. Right. Uh, and there are examples of this all over, all over. There's an elephant sanctuary um, in Chiang Mai run by a lady called Lek, and she's done huge amounts for, for elephant uh, conservation. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just really about reading and research and educating yourself about anywhere that you want to visit. Right. So you could potentially do good by going and visiting wildlife in sanctuaries and in captivity, essentially, but make sure you do the research, make sure that you're not supporting a, that's an right. organization and that's I doing... I don't want to alienate people, and I don't want to say that I'm completely anti-captivity, because I'm not, and that was how I got interested in wildlife, was I went to, I lived in London, I went to Regent Zoo as a, as a child, and I went to aquariums. Um, so these places do offer a really important role and you, most people don't get to experience animals in the wild so often their next best thing is a zoo a lot of the time it's just about maximizing profit uh, and it's not about animal welfare yeah um and zoos some and, and the responsible zoos they for example they do put a lot of money into into conservation and conservation projects um, Houston Zoo is another really good example. London Zoo does really good things. So zoos and aquariums and captivity has an important role to, to play uh, in wildlife conservation and in education. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with with habitat loss around the world from lots of other for lots of other reasons, um, zoos are starting to act as conservation bodies. But like we've like we've said, just do the research and make sure you go, you're supporting an organization that's doing the right thing. That's right, because not we, most people can't afford. They can't afford to go on a safari in in Africa, and they can't afford to see animals in their true wild state. So they rely on zoos. Um, so zoos have to just, in general, they have to get better at what they're doing. Yeah, agreed. Thank you so much for that, Bertie. It's you've already given us a quite a detailed rundown of the projects that you're working on. It sounds like you could use support in terms of uh, getting people involved with your platform as well as supporting your many, many programs that you're involved in, um, as well as trying to help get the media storm happening around this issue. Is there anything else that you want to mention that that you could use support on or that you'd like to tell people about in 2018? Um, Well, we will also be uh, crowdfunding for um, a documentary on Thailand's wildlife house of horrors. Of so course. on this recent trip, on this recent trip to Thailand, we did shoot quite a lot of footage at some of the bad places. But we also want to go back and highlight some of the better operators. We want to visit Wildlife Friends Foundation Thailand. We want to visit Lex Animal Sanctuary in Chiang Mai, and we want to turn the footage into a half an hour documentary that we can then try and distribute. We can enter into film festivals, and we can use to bring more awareness on the issue of wildlife tourism. Um, So that's something that um, I'm going to be launching a crowdfunding campaign in the next couple of days. Um, People can also go on my website. My website is www.aaronjakoski.com. All of my work and articles and photos and a lot of my uh, videos can can be found on there and i will put a link to the crowdfunding campaign there too okay we'll put we'll put the link into our show notes as well and into the article we'll write an article about this as well and i imagine people can find you on social media as well that's where we found you you've got an instagram and a facebook what what are the handles for those yeah yeah so yeah my instagram and facebook i'm i'm probably most active on facebook i'm a bit of a social media dinosaur but i'm starting to kind of get to grips with it a little bit and realizing um, what an important platform this is going to be for me uh, going forward. So yeah, Facebook is where is the best place to find me for updates on this project and future jobs. Awesome. Okay. So we'll put links to that as well. And final question for you, Bertie. I'm sure that many people uh, listening to this are going to be super inspired by your career and the things that you're doing and the impact that you're having. Would you have any advice for people out there who want to get out there and tell important stories like you're doing? <laughs> don't do it. Go into <laughs> law. <laughs> that's what I did. And, and I work. say, don't do that. <laughs> well, well, that's the other way of doing it. You, you go and you have your career first, which is kind of what I did. And you go and you make a little bit of money. And then you can use your skills and, and resources to uh, pursue a different lifestyle, which is clearly what you guys are doing. And hats off to you for it. For, for young people who want to do it, I mean, you have to be incredibly uh, resourceful and determined um, and you have to work your ass off. I mean, this has to be your life. It's not just something that you can do part time um, because you have to kind of forge a living out of it. And uh, people I know, I mean, even, you know, Nat Geo photographers, they're having to do all different things now. You're having to do uh, give talks uh, and presentations, which they're, they're getting paid for as well. So, so you always have having to look at kind of different avenues um, and it's all consuming. But for me, it's, um, you know, this is this is life now and it's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So uh, if you if you truly want to do it, then then make it happen. And I'm happy to offer advice. If anyone wants to get in touch with me, then um, I'm happy to offer any further advice on on how to kind of get into the industry. That's kind of you. That's awesome. Thank you, Bertie. Thank you so much again for this talk and and. From Joy and I, thank you so much for the work that you are doing in this area. It is so, so important to continue to raise awareness and prioritize the world's most important assets. And work like yours will help us get there. So we thoroughly look forward to your documentary coming out. We will be 
posting that and spreading the word and sharing the love for fundraising. And we look forward to all the success in 2018 and beyond. Thank you. And thank you guys as well for, for doing everything that you are and helping to highlight some of these issues. No worries at all. Bertie, we will put all the links up and we will do our best to try and get this message spread. Thank, thank you again. <laughs> thank Thanks, you Bertie. so much. Podcast listeners, we know that was probably hard to listen to as no matter of animal cruelty is ever easy to absorb. But we want to raise as much awareness for this issue as possible, as I'm sure you do too. Please share this information with others, especially those who are planning on enjoying a wildlife experience. Please also support Bertie's work as best you can. We will explain how to do so in our show notes for this episode at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.